All right, well, Merry Christmas to all of you. I know we're starting early, right? It's still two more days away, but it feels like, it feels like we're right in the midst of it. Uh, my name's Ezra, uh, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and we're just glad, uh, we're so grateful uh, that you've chosen to come and to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus with us here at Riverside tonight, and we really enjoy uh, Christmas time. It's a chance where we get to uh, meet a lot of new people and see a lot of new faces, and, and some of you are, are friends or neighbors who've been invited out. Some of you are family members who are in from out of town. Uh, maybe this is part of your Christmas plans, and so if you're not regularly here at Riverside, but you're here with us tonight, we are so glad you're here. We welcome you. We're really glad. We hope that you'll come back, as Keith said, and, and continue to join us. Um, but if nothing else, we hope that you see a couple things tonight. Number one, if you have a friend or a neighbor or family member that, that comes to this church, uh, we'll hope that you'll walk out tonight and be like, okay, they're not so weird after all. Right? <laughs> these, these people seem somewhat normal, and, um, and, and we also hope that you will see um, that, that we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and died for our sins, and that that has a deep and profound impact on the way that we live our lives. Uh, this isn't religious practice. We're not ceremonial. Um, we're not trying to just do things out of tradition or habit, but we're really trying to say, okay, really, we believe all the stuff that we read about Jesus tonight. We believe this is all true. And so what difference does that make to us living our lives today in this place, in this time and then that's what we do. We gather every week to try and figure out, okay, what does the Bible say? How do we apply that into our lives? And so I just want to share with you guys a tonight a couple of observations from the Christmas story. We heard uh, these read beautifully, all these stories, and, um, and they kind of have this veneer of, of um, just... Uh, they, they warm your heart a little bit as you hear them read, right? It's like, oh, wow, there's the angels and, and stuff. But when you really kind of look at it objectively, you're like, man... All these people were having a really tough time, right? There was, there was a lot of trials that they were going through. And so my first observation is the greatest moment in history emerged out of a season of significant personal trials, especially for those that were closest to the birth of Jesus. Those that were closest to the epicenter of what he was doing were experiencing these significant trials. And so if you're here tonight and you're in a season of significant trials, if there's difficult things going on in your life, if you feel torn and, and your heart's just kind of pulled in a couple different directions and it's, and it's been, you're reflecting on the year and you're like, man, this was kind of a, a tough year. I want you to know that you're, you're not alone, right? That, 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 that Mary and Joseph and all these that we've read about tonight were in very similar situations. There's this kind of, this, um, this straw man version of, of Christianity that says, oh, Christians just kind of live with their eyes up in the sky and their heads in the clouds, and they're not very practical about the real life, and they just kind of ignore the real trials of life and pretend that they're not there. And, um, and, and that's not what we see. Over and over and again in the Bible, what we see is people dealing with the hardest and most difficult things of life but doing it with a different perspective and a different power and a different purpose. And, and they come to it and, and, and the things they go through are not that much different than the things that everybody else goes through, but they're able to go through it in a different way. And, uh, and, and so, so we see this in this story, right? We began with these readings from Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus. And so he was coming into a time when the nation of Israel was being punished. They were sent into exile and so he was coming to them and said, hey, I know an army just came and destroyed your cities and took you captive into a foreign land. And guess what? You're going to be here until you die. <laughs> but good news, one day we're going to send a savior. A savior is going to be sent and he's going to redeem everything and he's going to make everything right. And your children's children, they're going to see this day of redemption. And you know what? For those people, 
that was enough. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, I may not experience the joy of it in my lifetime, but there's hope. There's some sort of reason. There's some sort of purpose. This isn't all just random and meaningless. Think about young Mary, this young woman. She's excited. She's been betrothed to Joseph. She's awaiting her wedding day, and suddenly an angel appears and says, hey, you're going to be pregnant, <laughs> but Joseph isn't going to be the one. <laughs> And, uh, and you're going to have to deal in your community with your friends whispering about you and gossiping and people looking down their nose at you. And, 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 and it would even be possible that they could drag you out into the street and stone you for having a child outside of, of marriage. Uh, but you're going to have to endure that because this is of the Lord. And Mary says, let it be done to me as you say, right? And then think about Joseph's side of things, Right? He finds out that his, 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 the woman he's engaged to, the woman that he, he loves, that he's looking forward to marry, suddenly he finds out that, that she's pregnant and that he's not the father. And an angel appears and says, hey, I want you to marry her anyways because what's happening to her is of the Lord and you're going to be called to, to raise this, this son, but he's going to be the son of God. And so his friends would look at him and be like, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> Why is your fiance pregnant? <laughs> right? Um, and, and it even gets more awkward when he's like, yeah, it, I, it wasn't me, right? Like, uh, it, it's a difficult and trying situation. And then together, the government tells them, because we all love it when the government tells us to do things, right? That's like our favorite thing as human beings. Like, <laughs> I wish a grueling power would come and tell me to do something I don't want to do, right? And so, uh, so they're like, I don't care how pregnant you are. I don't care what's going on. We're taking a census, and we need you to go to Bethlehem. Uh, load your your pregnant self up on a camel and let's go, right? And so, and so she goes in the midst of their pregnancy. They get to town. It's packed out. There's no room in the inn. There's nowhere to stay. And even though we, we romance, I mean, we were just at the, the mall today, right? And we're looking at these little kiosks of the, the nativity scenes, right? With the beautiful little stable and like everybody gathered around and the star and it's so beautiful and, and pastoral. Um, but think about the reality for her. She's like, I'm about to have a baby, and you're telling me that the best option you have for me is this dirty uh, barn over here. <laughs> if you want to insult somebody, say, hey, were you born in a barn, right? And Jesus would say, yeah, I was born <laughs> in a barn, right? Um, and so, so they're in this trial. They're in this hardship. They're in these difficulties, and it goes on and on, right? The shepherds, when they encounter the angel, their response is not like, oh, glorious, this is amazing. Their response is fear. They're scared to death, right? They want to run away. They want to hide. And the angel has to say, no, 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 don't run. Come back, come back, come back. I got good news for you. Something good is going to happen, right? They're frightened. They're afraid. We've got these wise men who are, are searching for a, a king. They believe a king has been born by the signs they see in the star. And so they travel this long distance. They load everything up. They're expecting to be greeted uh, with royal banquets and feasts at the celebration of this king. And they, they get to the country where they're going. And, the, and, and everybody is troubled by the news they deliver. And then they're saying, like, hey, why don't you guys go check it out for us and let us know what you find, right? Just kind of general disinterest. And then they go and they find a simple, poor man and woman with a baby. And yet they worship him. That's the second observation that I want to point out to you here, that um, when, when Jesus came in, he didn't remove or eliminate the trials, it wasn't like Jesus, before he entered in, he didn't say, all right, let me, let me clear out some space. Let me find a nice, clean place to land. Let me find some people who have perfect lives and a nice, comfortable palace that I can go into. But no, he said, everything is a mess, and I'm going to enter into the mess because they need me. <laughs> they need me to be near to them. Jesus didn't eliminate the trials. He entered into the trials. This is this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, that that's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's this amazing thing that God 
the creator of the universe, the one who holds the universe in his hands, became a baby and came and dwelt with us and dwelt among us. Now, when he came, did they suddenly, did the stable transform into a palace or a cruise ship or, or did people come out and begin serving them? No. The baby was born. They were still in a stable. They were still poor. And actually, the news got worse. An angel appeared and said, hey, oh, by the way, a king wants to kill Jesus. So now you're going to have to leave everything you're comfortable with and you're going to have to go to Egypt. And you're going to have to be exiled. Some of you have experienced this right in your own life. Like when you came to follow Jesus, Suddenly, life didn't get easier. It got a lot harder. But now you weren't doing it on your own. Now you had a reason, a different purpose, a different perspective. And that's what I really want you to see here, too. The third, the third observation is just this, that, that those that encountered Jesus experienced purpose, peace, and praise in the midst of their trials. Their situation wasn't transformed. Objectively, looking at it from the outside, nothing really changed. Nothing was different, and yet everything was different. Suddenly, there was hope. Suddenly, there was meaning. Suddenly, there was purpose to what they were doing, all because they now, they had Jesus with them. They understood that. Um, this time of year, um, it, beyond being Christmas, which I love, and, and two of my daughters have birthdays this week, and so it's a huge family celebration for us. But, but on top of that, this is the anniversary of uh, when I proposed to my wife. I proposed on New Year's Eve um, several years ago. And um, she was living up in upstate New York, um, and, and I traveled up there to see her. I was really excited. I, I had the ring. Uh, there was a billboard out on 309 that said, Mark's Jewelers has your ring. And so she texted me and she said, hey, I think Mark's has, has, your, has my ring. And so I went into Mark's Jewelers and I bought the ring. I was really excited about it. And now just recently I heard these commercials on the radio where they're talking about that, that people barter and negotiate the price of engagement rings, which I didn't know. So I just paid whatever it said, right? It's like, it's like oh, that's how much it is. Okay, it seems like a lot, but right? So Mark had a good Christmas on me that year. And, uh, and so I got this ring. I put it in my coat pocket. I'm, I'm excited. It's New Year's Eve. Uh, her, we'd been invited. One of her friends was having a murder mystery dinner. And so we went to that. And I was like, okay, we'll go to the dinner. We'll do that. And then we'll, I'm going to go propose. I had it all planned out in my mind. Uh, it was exciting. So we're winding down in this murder mystery dinner. And I'm getting excited. I got the ring in my pocket. I can, like, feel it there. I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait. And a bunch of her friends are like, oh, hey, do you guys want to go out? We're going out to this club downtown. It's called Rockin' Docks. It's super cool. And, uh, and Trina and I weren't really into the party scene, but, uh, but we kind of felt like obligated to go. So I was like, okay, we can take a little detour. We'll just pop in, make an appearance, see some people, and then, and then get on to, to the business that I got at hand, right? So, so we get in there. It's going along. I'm kind of looking for our exit, looking for a chance to get out. And her friend comes up and plops down in the booth beside us and says, oh, I'm so mad at my boyfriend. You guys are taking me home. And I was like, no, no. And so she's there ranting about all the things that her boyfriend did to make her mad and, and just assuming that we are taking her home. And I'm like, ah, maybe you don't realize, and I didn't tell her this, right? But in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm getting engaged tonight, but I can't let this throw it off, right? I got the ring. It's going to be all right. This night is gonna be, not going to be remembered by these, these trials, these difficulties, these things, these, these sidetracks. It's going to be the night that I propose to the woman that I love, right? And so, so I had that. It was driving me forward. And so, so we finally, we go out. Uh, we get in the car. We're driving her to her house. I'm like, okay, good. We'll drop her off, like throw her out the door, and like keep moving, right? And uh, we're driving along, and she's like, oh, hey, there's a, there's a dandy mini mart up here. I need a sub. Can we go in and get a sub? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So we go in. We're sitting out there in the car, like waiting. She's like in there ordering her sub. <laughs> but all this time, I got this ring in my pocket, right? And so I'm like, okay, hey, 
that this is just a moment. This is just a moment, right? And so finally she gets her sub. She comes in. Um, we, we drop her off. By this time, it's like 12.30, 12.45. It's actually New Year's Day at this point. <laughs> I'm driving Trina back to her parents' house, and uh, we're going along, and uh, there was this park that had a gazebo, and it was all lit up with Christmas lights and stuff, and I knew that would be the perfect place to get engaged. So, so we're driving along, and I'm looking over to make sure she's not falling asleep, and she's doing <laughs> good. And so, because I got the ring, right? And uh, so, so I'm like, hey, uh, do you want to go for a walk? Now, keep in mind, it's, it's winter. It's probably about 20 degrees out. It's 12.45. And I'm like, hey, do you, do you want to go for a walk? And we were dating, so she didn't realize yet that she could say no. And so she's like, uh, okay. So we park the car, walk up, uh, walk up to this gazebo. I get down on my knee. Um, I ask her to marry me, and she says yes. And it's this great, joyous, beautiful moment. And um, with that perspective, because I knew that's where the night was going, all those other little things just became a part of the story. They were weaved into it. They were trials. They were difficulties. But there was nothing that was going to derail where that night was ultimately going. And it's, a, and it's a tiny, imperfect picture of what it looks like to walk with Jesus in your life. You know ultimately where it's going. You know ultimately that you've been forgiven. And so when you, when you mess up, when you sin, when you fail, you're disappointed. And you're like, man, I, I really... Oh. I'm disappointed, but, but I know God still loves me. And I know it because Jesus came and he died for me on the cross. Even though he knew I was going to mess up. He knew I was a sinner and yet he died for me anyways. Man, how much do I love him? And if he did that, then I can keep going. I can keep putting one foot in front of the other. Tim Keller talks about this in, uh, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He's a pastor up in New York, and, and I think he, he expresses this idea really eloquently that, that trials that we go through in life, that Mary went through, that Joseph went through, that many of you are going through right now, they can, they can serve as like a refining fire, like gold in a furnace. They can make you more pure, right? The impurities rise to the surface, they're scraped away, and you're left with pure gold, the pure essence of who you're meant to be. And a trial can do that, but a trial can also destroy us. And so how do, we, how do we make sure that we don't get destroyed by the fires that could purify us? Well, listen to what he says. He says this. He says, we all know that suffering does not only refine, but it can also harden and consume. Plenty of people have been broken by suffering, terribly broken. So what do you have to do in order to grow instead of being destroyed by your suffering? The answer is you must walk with God. Thanks, Pastor. That sounds really helpful, right? Like, what does that mean to walk with God? Well, fortunately, he goes on. He says it means we must treat God as God and as there. Of course, that means to speak to him, to pour out your heart to him in prayer. It means to trust him. But preeminently, it means to see with the eyes of your heart how Jesus plunged into the fire for you when he went to the cross. This is what you need to know so you will trust him, stick with him, and thus turn into pure gold in the heat. If you remember with grateful amazement that Jesus was thrown into the ultimate furnace for you, you can begin to sense him in your smaller furnaces with you. This means remembering the gospel. He was thrown into the ultimate fire, the fire that we deserve, and that is how we are saved. If we believe in him, then none of that wrath comes to us. What if, however, you believe that God saves only those who live a very good life? If that is your belief, when suffering hits, you're going to hate either God or yourself. Either you will say, I lived a good enough life, I deserve better, God has done me wrong. Or you will say, oh, I must have failed to live as I should have. I'm a loser. Either way, you go into despair. 
A heart then, forgetting the gospel, will be torn between anger and guilt. If you go into the furnace without the gospel, it will not be possible to find God in there. You will be sure that he has done terrible wrong, or you have, and you will feel all alone. Going into the fire without the gospel is the most dangerous thing anyone can do. You will be mad at God, or mad at yourself, or mad at both. But if you say to yourself when you get thrown into the furnace, this is my furnace. I'm not being punished for my sins because Jesus was thrown into that ultimate fire for me. And so if you went through that greatest fire steadfastly for me, then I can go through this smaller furnace steadfastly for him. And I also know it means that if I trust in him, this furnace will only make me better. That's what I offered to you tonight. I can't take away your trials. I can't take away the sickness, the pain, the loss, the disappointment. But what I can offer to you is the hope that Jesus offers. He says that if we put our faith and our trust in him, if we believe that he was the son of God who died for our sins, then we're forgiven, then we're redeemed. And any trials that we go through, we now go through with him at our side. And in fact, we go through it for him. When, when Trina's friend asked me to, to give her a ride home, I could have let my selfishness erupt, right? And I could have said, no, we're not taking you home. That's your problem. Deal with it. I got bigger things to do, right? But, but I was doing it with this end in mind. I said, I don't want that to be the, the character of this night. I don't want to be this, the night where I was selfish and lost control and lost my temper and caused a fight and offended her friend. This night is about getting engaged. And in the same way, as you live your life, you say, hey, you know what? I know I'm forgiven and this trial it hurts. It's difficult. It's painful. But I'm going to go through it with Jesus at my side. And I'm going to do it for him. And I'm going to allow him to purify me through it. And what happens when you do that is that all these impurities rise to the surface and then we have a choice. When, you're, when your selfishness is exposed, when your anger is exposed, when, you're, when your bitterness is exposed, you have an opportunity to either grab a hold of it and hold on tightly or to let it go and say, God, thank you for bringing this to service. Thank you for showing me what was in my heart. And I'm going to ask you to take it now. I don't want it. I don't want to be this kind of person. I want you to, to refine me. I want you to turn me into pure gold. That's what he did with Mary. That's what he did with Joseph. That's what he did with the wise men. That's what he did with the disciples. And that's what he promises to do with you. And so I want to offer you an opportunity tonight that... Um, Man, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, what better night to do it than Christmas weekend? When we celebrate his birth, what better time to say, you know what? As I hear the readings and scriptures, I hear this message, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And because of him, I believe I'm, I'm forgiven and I'm, I'm freed. You don't have to clean yourself up. Don't, please don't say, hey, I'm gonna take some time to get a bunch of things right in my life and then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna offer myself to Jesus. He doesn't want you to do that. He proved that when he went into a dirty, messy stable, right? He wants to come into the mess because you can't clean it up without him. But if you're willing to let him in, your life will have hope and peace and purpose. And as a symbol of that, we have, um, we have these, these Bibles that we wrapped up as a gift. And if tonight, if you're ready to, to walk with Jesus and put your faith in him, I want to encourage you, they're sitting right up here on this table. Nobody will, nobody will accost you. Nobody will, <laughs> will hunt you down. But if you are ready to walk forward with him. I want you to, to come up after the service and just, just quietly grab one of these and take it home with you as a reminder 
as a mile marker in your life to say, hey, that was the night that I, that I put my faith in Jesus. And I want to invite all of you, even if you're not at that place, to, to continue to come back uh, from January through March. We're going to walk through the entire book of John as a church on Sunday mornings. We're going to look at Jesus' life from beginning to end. And if you say, man, I still got questions. I don't know if this Jesus is all that he says to be. I invite you, come explore with us who he is and see whether he is worthy of your worship. See if it, he is who he says he is. And for all of us, I want to encourage you if, you, if you, if you are walking with Jesus, he's given you something in your heart. And there's people around you in this room and in your life that are going through trials and they need what he has placed inside of you. And so I want to encourage you to go out from here, take what he's put inside you and offer it to someone else. They need it. They might not even know that they need it, but they need it. And the only way that, that they will find it is if you have the courage to share with them the hope that resides in you. That's the greatest gift that we could give anybody this Christmas season. Will you join me in prayer? Father, uh, we thank you. We thank you for, for Mary. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you for these sirens and this reminder that there's somebody who's experiencing a trial, a difficulty right now. And we pray that we know that they need you and I pray that you would be with them, Father. It's a reminder for all of us that we don't know how much time we have. We don't, know, we don't know the days of our life. You know every hair on our head and you know every day that we will ever live. And tomorrow's not promised to us. And so I pray today as you bring us to the foot of the cross that we would submit to you, that we would acknowledge your greatness, that you are Lord and we would, we would humbly submit and worship and allow you to enter into our hearts and to walk with us for all of our days. And as we're here in this moment of prayer, I just want to invite you, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I just want to offer you the chance to do that by, by offering up this simple, humble prayer right there at your seat. You can just say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you have forgiven me. I thank you for it. And I ask you to come and walk with me all the days of my life. Teach me how to follow you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.